you know, I live in a city that is made up, especially recently, by large, diverse populations of people who have been displaced from their homes uh, that have become refugees and, and now call the city of Utica home. And seeing the situation in Ukraine of all of the lives that are, that are upended and, and destroyed is, is especially heavy uh, right now. We have, we have a wonderful uh, community of, of Ukrainians here in our city and um, uh, just want to briefly acknowledge that we are with you, we support you, and if you're listening to this, try to find a little ray of light and something that you can do to support Ukrainians in your community, Ukrainians abroad, refugees, whether they are fleeing from Ukraine, fleeing from violence that are that are, are just looking for a better life anywhere in the world. Um, these crises never seem to end, and we need to, I think, collectively open our hearts and our minds to people that just want to feel safe and figure out ways that we can support them in our own ways. And so my thoughts, especially today, are with the people of Ukraine. All right, let's get to the podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to Rust Belt Startup. I'm your host, Ryan Miller. This is a uh, podcast full of long-form conversations with artists, entrepreneurs, educators, helpers, people that are living unconventional lives in unconventional locations. And I'm going to add people that are making the comfortable uncomfortable. And that is uh, that is kind of the topic of this episode. This is a tough one. I'm not going to lie. This is a this is a tough one. Uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a downer, but I think it's an important conversation. It's a conversation, uh, a, a follow up conversation with Pastor Mike Ballman, who I interviewed in the first season of this project. And and frankly, I didn't know what I was getting into the first time I, I talked to Mike. And that conversation, uh, to me, it was one of it, it was it was heavy on impact. I uh, I was incredibly moved and humbled by his resilience and his story. Um, and his mission to give voice to the voiceless. And this is a follow-up conversation um, uh, to that one. It's a, it's a few years later, and, and Mike is uh, also now the founder and, and I would say chief, chief operator of the Moral Warming Center, which is a low-barrier shelter in Utica, New York, uh, designed uh, principally to give people uh, that don't have a place to stay at night uh, a place to go where they're just not going to freeze to death. And... What Mike has done is, I think, really uh, made the, the problem of homelessness in, in our city visible. It was something that um, up until recently, you know, I, I, myself, I didn't, I didn't know that this was a problem or didn't know the extent of the problem. And what Mike has has done through the opening of, of the Warming Center is, is made homelessness vis- visible. Uh, and he's made struggle with addiction visible. Um, and this is an uncomfortable place to be. Uh, this was an uncomfortable conversation. And Mike makes people that are comfortable uncomfortable. Uh, but it's important. So in this conversation, we talk about the founding of, of the Moral Warming Center, um, the problem of homelessness, particularly in small cities, 
Um, and and really, there's a there's a, a lot of conversation around local opposition to what he's doing, and I think because it makes us feel uncomfortable, and there's no easy instant solution to the problem of homelessness. So uh, this is a tough this is a tough one, but it's an important one, uh, and I and I think my hope is that. Um, uh, by the end of the conversation, you leave with a better, a better understanding of the challenges um, that are faced by um, by agencies and communities that are trying to solve this problem, um, but have not been successful. I hope you come away from the conversation with an, a better understanding of the challenges and some of the opposition um, uh, that that occurs when dealing with the problem of homelessness. And, but most important, I hope you come away from this conversation with the understanding that um, the folks that are affected by these challenges um, are people too. It's someone's son, someone's father, someone's mother, someone's daughter. And we need to rehumanize. Um, folks that are struggling with homelessness and addiction. Uh, so this is my conversation with Mike Ballman from Cornerstone Church and the Morrow Warming Center. Um, it's been it's been th- three years maybe since we talked I think last three time. years, yeah. And uh, as I mentioned to you before we, we started, you know, that last conversation was just, it, uh, it was it was one of the most profound conversations uh, so that what, I've had. So may I ask you, life. what do you think was... <sighs> profound about it? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I didn't know your whole story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the story was incredibly moving, but I think your uh, the combination for me anyway the combination of your resilience and also the I think you had, I don't know for for me you've got this very healthy way of thinking about um, maybe it's not a healthy way of thinking about it, but you've you've got a, a you had a very direct way of talking about um, struggle, spirituality, mm-hmm. impact, uh, and and you know, the, I think I think the the title of the podcast was like um, like invest and dig in, yeah. and you know, we spend a lot of time asking questions, having conversations, and talk and having, doing podcasts and stuff. Yeah. And you're like, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do this, yeah. And it was, you know, there I think there's. You are you you seem to be a person that is predicated on action rather than yeah. Well, let's see. Let's let's talk about this and let's yeah. have a focus group. You're like, I don't know. Let's just keep. Let's I try know. something. I'm just like, let's do it. Let's do something. Like, yeah. I think one of my kind of critics was like, well, you just keep throwing stuff on the wall and seeing what sticks. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's what I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You because know, I learned something from everything, even if it doesn't stick. But the tenacity that you, you know, in, in for, for folks that haven't listened to this this uh, previous episode, you, you really got to go check it out. But you know, you seem—I shouldn't say you seem—you are someone that I think a lot, a lot of people that I meet in in my world of, of trying to develop entrepreneurs or just mm-hmm. working with students. Uh, you know, the question is always, what do you? What's your? What's your why? What do you want to be? Mm-hmm. You know, where are you going? You seem to me to be a person that completely understands what you're made of, where you're going, and why it matters. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think a lot of people uh, work very hard to find and never find it. 
Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and you, you found it. And I think you found it again yeah. in what you're doing in tomorrow. tomorrow you know? I think the place for me where the real doubt comes in is I feel really confident about it, but the results don't seem to, yeah. you know, from a worldly perspective, don't. And we talked a little bit about that in the last one. Yeah. Um, it, sometimes it seems like, you know, especially when you get crushed by the powerful and, mm-hmm. you know, and then it feels like, you know, am I doing the right thing? Should I be this confident? Yeah. You know. Why don't we start with with where what's happened since the last time we talked, yeah. which was three years ago? You, you know, we talked very much about your journey in yeah. um, starting Cornerstone, but now you've you are the uh, what's the title? You're the you're the direct. You're just the you're the guy. I'm the guy. Yeah. Uh, for the Moral Warming Center in Utica, New York. Can you tell us what the Moral Warming Center is? Yeah, the Moral Warming Center is um, our uh, our meaning the churches. Um, attempt to address the real suffering we saw in, our, in United Square because we had so many people sleeping on our porches and we saw so many people um, with no place to go during the day or night in United Square. We uh, and at, in and at the church and also the United Square Project, which is our not for profit. We've we've really always been interested in and what does the neighborhood need and how can we help? So um, that. The, the the real genesis of the of the the warming center came probably five or six years ago maybe even more on a on a Christmas Eve service somebody came to our service that needed a place to stay and um, so we called um, you know the the normal um, you know protocol and um, there was no place for it. Why were they, they were full? The, the well, inn was full. I mean, um, the know? person was kicked out of the rescue yeah. mission, and so, um, and my response was, "But it's Christmas Eve." Yeah, um, and we had no way to keep someone at the church, um, and I and I even struggled with that. Like, should I have stayed there all night with the yeah. with this person? Um, and so we uh, we gave them a sleeping bag and some food, and and that felt really crappy. You know, like yeah. that does, there's a verse in the Bible that says, you know, like if you tell someone be warm and be filled and that's what it felt like, Yeah. like, Hey, it's like thoughts and prayers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that felt really hollow. So then, um, thankfully, uh, Steve Darman, who's, who's the head of the COC, the, the continuum of care for homelessness had his office in our building and I'd got to know him and, uh, Scott McCumber, his, um, partner, um, or, um, you know, I would talk to them about it and they said that what we really needed in, in the county was a, a low barrier um, harm reduction shelter because so many people do either get kicked out of the existing shelters or um, they just don't want to engage because they can't. Yeah. They're too traumatized, bad experiences. They, they don't want to be judged. And so those people were all kind of missing um, and, and kind of fell through the cracks. So that's, that's where we decided. Um, and then Scott McCumber, uh, encouraged us to go to the County and, and pitch the warming center. And they had been looking to partner with someone for a long time yeah. because they realized that too. Um, and so that's how it all began. And so, um, we were going to do it in 19, but things didn't come together. Um, and so, um, in, 20 uh in 2020 um in december we started it and got everything going community foundation was a huge support in helping us get going and um you know we started in december of 2020 um and we were only going to do it for code blue but then 
we had such an overwhelming response and realized that there were so many more people out there that were lost from the system. Um, and we were supposed to close on Passion Week. And as a pastor, I was just like, we can't close yeah. on Passion Week. That's like the most, that felt like the whole Christmas Eve thing. Yeah. So we stayed open another week, but then the county was like, well, we don't have any money right now, but we'd like to make, we, if you'll stay open, we'll, we'll try figure and figure it out. out, try and figure it out. And so um, throughout the summer, then that's when things all fell apart because uh, it was interesting. Nobody even knew in the neighborhood, not even the next door dorm from Munson Williams ever really noticed mm-hmm. them in the winter. Yeah. But then when spring came and even after the students were gone is when people started um, seeing them out. And then that's when the yeah. whole public backlash came. And then then it became um, a, a political issue. And then that's when the county... Um, the county was pretty firm still, like they weren't too worried about it. But as the as it uh, it became more of a political issue, um, the county started to get a lot more cold feet. But and then they weren't able to find us any money, and we we spent all of our own money from April first through July, and we were um, you know we said we just can't we have yeah. we spent all of our, we spent all of our reserves. Um, which was a couple hundred thousand dollars yeah. and we're not a very big church and right. that was everything we had um, and um, so the, we were going to close and um, so we were like we're closing on Friday and uh, we'll reopen again in code blue season mm-hmm. you know in October and then I had a colonoscopy that day and um, <laughs> I was on the table about to go in and I got a frantic call from the county the Oblston just got closed today you have to stay open and, um, and we'll pay you. Yeah. Um, like they couldn't figure out a way to pay us from April through July, but now because of like, oh no, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you. And so I was like, well, you, ha- you have to pay us for everyone, not just the Obelston people. Well, the Obelston's an, an apartment building yes. that was condemned. That was condemned, context, yes. Yeah. And um, so, and we ended up only getting about 10 Obelston people and about 15 animals. Yeah. Um, and we took the animals because people, yeah. you know, I wouldn't want to go to a shelter without my dog, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's for you, Artie, wherever you are. <laughs> um, but um, then people, we got a little bit of publicity and people who were non-traditionally homeless who weren't in those circles to know where to go started showing up like crazy. And so we went from like maybe 25 people to over 50 and animals. We had cats, dogs. Um, and, uh, it really, and then, and that's when, um, and there was no place for them to go during the day. And we had been working really hard to advocate for a daytime place for them so they wouldn't have to just hang out in the square. And we had people with uh, extreme developmental delay that were just, that we had to send out at seven o'clock in the morning. And, um, and then, you know, so people are driving by and there's a lot of stuff going on, but, um, we were, you know, advocating there's got to be a daytime place for them because they shouldn't be out. You know, there's no, they, they can't take care of themselves. Many of the people. Um, and then there was the drug use and there was no bathroom for them to use. So uh, people were complaining about feces, um, I heard the word feces about a million yeah. times, you know, people complain about that, which I would say, well, they don't really want to do that in public either, but no one will let them in during the day. Um, so, uh, and the city really dragged their feet on the daytime. Um, the daytime centers didn't open completely until February. And this is yeah. July. 
you know, um, and so they could have opened in September, which would have really helped a lot of the issues. Um, and so um, when things really got out of control with the backlash, like there's there was a guy in the neighborhood that would write like these just incredibly, you know, um, miss inform things and go to speak in front of um, the county mm-hmm. and the, the city council. And not one politician ever came to talk to us or it's like we were just a hot potato that and, and it was a re-election year, so no one wanted to touch us. The mayor initially noticed that we were the only one doing anything to help about it. But then when the backlash came and when the, um, the museum threatened to sue the city, um, then he dropped like I never saw him again. Um, and, uh, or anyone from the city. Um, and, uh, and then we, um, the community foundation saw how much that we were taking the heat for everyone. Um, and I don't think people understood that we were, um, you know, people were like, this church doesn't know what they're doing. They don't have professional staff. They're this rogue entity. And we're like, first of all, we actually trained our staff, uh, very extensively at the beginning with de-escalation, um, techniques and, um, all kinds of, uh, you know, Narcan training, mm-hmm. which we've done many times. Yeah. Um, and that talk about something that's really scary is I've had to Narcan several people over the last year and, um, Narcan's an amazing, um, yeah. drug that I'm glad exists because, We've literally, you know, brought people back to life on so many occasions. Um, but so we, our staff is really trained and we really supervise them well. And the county never had any problems, but there was this narrative out there that we were, you know, incompetent, irresponsible. Well, I think what you guys did, you know, yeah. growing up in a lifelong, um, you know, person that has lived here, um, I, I remember for the you know it's it's it hasn't been that long where I I've we've never seen I've never no, no just noticed yeah. that we had uh, um, folks that didn't have housing yeah I've never noticed growing up folks that were panhandling I've never yeah you know and and I think what you guys did as as just a I don't want to use the word byproduct or consequence like you made homelessness visible yes and. It's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. It is very uncomfortable. And it's messy. So I think people wanted to assuage their their guilt and their feelings of uncomfortability with scapegoating us. You know, um, and so, and the county, you know, we were... You're not creating homelessness. No, but that's... Do you know how many people said that? Like, we, I was in a county meeting that just became pretty much... Attacked me, um, you know, and I had a, a UFD lieutenant from the the square say like, I've been here twenty years, and you know you're the problem, you know, and um, and I, and he's like, you can't use COVID as an excuse, and this was in May. Yeah. I mean, like we hadn't even had Delta or Omicron yeah. at that point, and I was, so it was just so much. Um, I think so much just um, people couldn't come to grips with. A, I think that Utica is finally experiencing what most cities experience, yeah. and they couldn't come to grips with their lack of empathy, um, and so they wanted to. And people really, what we've learned, one of the things that we've learned is that people really have great disgust for people struggling with addiction. Well, I, I you know, there's there's several narratives around that, you yeah. know, where if you, you know, if, if you've made better decisions, you yeah. wouldn't be in that. Well, you know. Yeah. I think one of the things that I've always kind of thought is, well, if you, you know, if the decision tree, if you're faced with the same decision tree that, mm-hmm. that several of these individuals have had and the, and the struggle, like mm-hmm. you would probably have made the same decisions. Oh, yeah. And talk about resilience. They inspire me. 
given what, you know, cause I've, I've gotten to know them. I consider them my friends mm-hmm. and, um, uh, not that it isn't a difficult relationship, um, because people in the throes of addiction can be very self-centered yeah. and, um, they tend to, you know, do a lot of things that they wouldn't normally do. Um, and that makes it uncomfortable, but if you understand that and don't take it personally and you, um, learn their stories and hear the trauma like almost all the women who have come through had childhood sexual abuse um a lot of even a lot of the men um a lot of kids from kicked around in foster Mm -hmm. system um and a lot of people think it's the drugs that cause the homelessness but it isn't always often it isn't it's when you're left on the street and you're stressed out um, the the addiction comes yeah. with the homelessness, um, and so and there's a lot of mental health issues too, and um, uh, one of the things that I was arguing with that uh, uh, fire lieutenant um, that was so rude was um, like because he was denying that the that because he also worked at the hospital mm-hmm. and he said well you know the hospital's not responsible for for um, you know long term care for people's uh, suffering from mental illness and I was like well sure fine but who is because no one is that, that, yeah that's what I was just going to say who, who no is? one is so one of the things that I, we were talking about in that meeting was that we had one lady who's really sweet um, but she was in a paranoid delusional break and she was unsafe but the rules of being um, officially um, you know um, mandated to go to the hospital are it's a very very low standard which is is you either you just have to verbally say I'm I feel I want to harm myself or yeah. someone else. You could be you could say that there's a purple giraffe standing next to you and that's not a reason to be yeah. and they won't take you to the hospital for that. And so people or they could say everyone's trying to kill me. Um, and people in like these really delusional um, mm-hmm. episodes that they're not safe to be wandering around outside with no yeah. shelter or food, but the system allows that. And if you send them to the hospital, they will kick them right back out to us. And so that was another kind of frustration for us was once we opened the, the DSS um, supervisors that were on call for the whole winter and the summer um, until things got really crazy with the, you know, the backlash and the ICANN, which I also had worked on the ICANN homeless outreach for a full year, full time. So I could kind of learn the whole system. Can you talk about what, what that is? Cause yeah, well there's street outreach that is responsible for finding, going out and finding homeless uh, people and, and um, engaging them with the system. Um, and so MHA does that. They do it with um, uh, AmeriCorps, mm-hmm. so they're not as trained and uh, or compensated. So it's harder for them to really be a big presence. And you know, ICANN only has two people, and I was one of the mm-hmm. first ones that they hired. And um, but ICANN has to cover the whole county. Um, and so um, there's not a, there's just not that much uh, manpower out there. Um, to to really find everyone and bring them in who are not engaged and and by default because I can and MHA kind of work with the county it really just defaults to people who are engaged with the county and then again what I've always been adv- advocating for is there's so many people outside of that that need to be found and engaged and so it really becomes difficult for everyone involved and so um, but if you are on call and it's three in the morning, rather than having to get up, go to uh, get the person, uh, go meet the person wherever they are. Because before the, the warming center, when I was on call for ICANN, 
when I, the week that I was on call, I'd be up all hours of the night. I'd have to go to the room, emergency room, um, you know, do the intake form with the person, get them a, um, a an Uber to a hotel, then meet them at the hotel, make sure they get all checked in, they get the mm-hmm. voucher, and then take the voucher to DSS. And so you could do like three of those in a night. Um, but once the warming center opened, just send them in the warming center, no paperwork, nothing, boom. So everyone was like, warming center, warming center, warming center, mm-hmm. because we don't have to do the paperwork. It's too low barrier. The, yeah, right. it's low barrier. But then when um, when everyone freaked out and said they're too full, it's become something that we didn't want it to become, and it's crowded and unsafe. It's like, but yeah, but you filled it. And, um, and then you were really slow in emptying it for us. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the problem. And we were very... Um, you know, open about that from the beginning. Like we're doing everything that you've asked us to do. And we realize that we're the only low barrier and we're the last Mm -hmm. place. So we're not going to kick people out and we're going to take everyone. And then that was kind of used against us. And like in many means, like, well, you know, Pastor Mike is just too, uh, you know, he just lets everyone in. I'm like, well, yeah, yes, that is true. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I have a hard time saying no to anyone. But what is also true is that um, that was our charge from the county. And so I feel like um, um, that, you know, we did everything they asked us to do. And then, um, then they were not very quick in placing the people because honestly, there is a, an affordable housing shortage sure. and there just aren't enough places. And so that was what we talk about in all the task force meetings. And so the community foundation saw that we were getting pounded and we were taking, we were taking care of all the people and taking the whole PR because it was funny in those meetings when I was getting crushed, I was sitting next to the uh, DSS supervisor who was really supportive and always mm-hmm. worked with me. She did not say a word. No one said a word. And I just took like, you know, yeah. um, and so um, that was really frustrating. I'm like, you know, I'm not really getting any support from, you know, we are not getting any support publicly. The politicians won't touch us. The people that we're working for have kind of disavowed us publicly. And um, so the community foundation then, um, and then the other aspect of it was um, the museum was crushing us just every day. Um, uh, just it was a really difficult relationship. And I tried from the very beginning with the president of the of the community foundation or the, the, the Munson Williams to, you know, sit down and be relational and say, like, let's sit over a cup of coffee and mm-hmm. let's figure out how we can solve this together. We can be partners and it was, no, we're not doing that. These are our demands and you are going to do them. We're not going to, this is transactional, not relational. Um, this is how it's going to be. And I tried to say, but that's, see, that's kind of the problem with your perception in the neighborhood as well as, is that you kind of do everything like that. Like, so for say, like when um, the, the um, Black Lives Matter um, uh, march happened, um, they roped off every one of their parking lots, but then put out a, a statement saying, we support it. And I was, you know, and I, I wrote the president after that, I'm saying, that was a really bad look, you know, mm-hmm. and you kind of did it again, which is you say you support diversity, um, equity and inclusion, but then, but not on your property. And then you left it for the rest of the neighborhood to solve kind of the way I feel now with the homelessness is you're just asking it to be disappeared and gone rather than trying to be a better part of the solution. So when I would sit down with with her, I would say like, you know, let's try and figure out how, because museums have a great amount of ability to, to, 
to um, you know affect good for homelessness um, and through art and and I oft- I also said too there <laughs> most of the artists that you are exhibiting wouldn't be able to be on your property the way you're taking a stand against homeless right now I mean Pollock Mm-hmm. The big, I mean, he was an alcoholic, <laughs> you know, so those are, um, but there was no, there was going to be no give and take there, no like listening to, oh, maybe we do strong arm the community and just kind of, um, and what became difficult in the conversations was, is that the conversations always began with the premise that their students and their employees and their, their customers um, were more valuable than our clients and so I I had to kind of push back and say this is a human rights thing you know and we're doing our very best to accommodate and we know that it's messy but we're the only ones doing anything about it in the square and we really need your help Um, but unfortunately then it just escalated from there which is um, they hired a lawyer from Syracuse to call all the neighbors and um, and to th- and you don't hire that law firm unless you're going uh, that they're pretty well known for tying people up in litigation and and so that was a big gun and I was like you know you could have spent that money because that was they're a lot of money they're a five hundred dollar an hour you know um, mm-hmm. firm and um, you know um, and then um, you know they called um, uh, Mrs Morrow who was the 88 year old um, namesake of our and, yeah. and tried to you know scare her into not giving us any money be saying that the, their students felt um, threatened and so again it was all these strong arming things when I was trying to say why can't we just work together I, I you know that's not how neighbors work together that's not how you know um, you summon me to the Institute you tell me how it's gonna be and then if I don't agree to it or I balk on you know, saying that, well, our people have rights too, then you just crush us um, with a lawyer and with going behind and around us and going to the city and threatening and going, you know, and so, and calling my donors. um, uh, And, um, you know, and they saw no um, contradiction in their diversity, equity, and inclusion position because to them it was all about safety. So they saw our people as an existential threat to their safety, which we tried to, and we had a board meeting, our board with their board, and one of our board members is a, a Brown and Princeton educated economist, and um, he was trying to show the data that actually um, people suffering from homelessness and experiencing homelessness do not um, commit um, random acts of violence against civilians. If anything, the only violence is between one another, or what's even more statistically um, um, verifiable through all of the studies is they're most likely to be the, attacked. Yeah, victim, and, and we and found that anecdotally we've there's a there's a group of kids in the neighborhood that just thought it was fun and sport to come beat them up at night on a regular basis. I remember seeing yeah uh, uh, that you talking about that online and, and yeah. you you know yeah. this is this is you know again you you being predisposed to action. I, I remember seeing you said, well, I'm just going to stay out all night on the porch. I did. I you did. Know, and you did. And I was like, what a badass, yeah. you know, of just to, you know, okay, well, what's the solution? Well, the solution is I'm going to, I'm going to protect people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like, um, that's kind of how we, you know, we see things. So, you know, that's, um, do you think proxy, I mean, you know, so 
with all of with all of this yeah I don't want to call it a journey but like with with this whole um, I don't know the whole existence of this like this is a very complex messy it is issue do you I don't want to say well how do we solve it but I mean you know in in your experience I guess what have you what have you learned about what some of the solutions might look like, but but also as you as you kind of you've mm-hmm. been navigating yeah. the traditional system and maybe talking yeah. to other shelters, are there communities that are addressing this in a in a way that is not just um, excluding folks that are struggling with homelessness and you know, but but yeah. are, are figuring this out? Well, um, I have seen that the places that have the most success are places that. Um, are really take housing first approach seriously. And housing first approach is, is that whatever someone's dealing with, even mental illness, drug addiction, um, getting them housed first is more important than getting them into rehab mm-hmm. or the other things um, because the housing is really the, the biggest point of insecurity and instability. And safety. And safety. And safety. And so, um, you know, like Utah, one of the most conservative mm-hmm. states in the union, uh, did that and they had great success and they found out that it was cheaper, that the, the communities were spending less on ERs, on um, policing, on all kinds of things by actually putting people in um, fully supportive housing, which means you get a, along with your housing, you get case management. Services, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that is the key. So when we would have these um, uh, county task force meetings, um, and a lot of, and one of my problems with the county task force meetings was that the president of the, of Anna, the president of the um, uh, museum would be there. And so even though everyone else was kind of a social worker helping, she would be the voice of, yeah, but let's make sure they're invisible and out of the way and, and, and let's curb their lawlessness. That was always the, and then the other subtext of these meetings always was, and they're cleaning up our mess. Um, so those meetings were brutal because first of all, it's like, hey, thank you everyone for cleaning up my mess um, that I caused. And, um, and also, like I remember in one meeting, um, you know, we, and because of, and I was very, really proud of actually the, uh, us bringing all this to fore because the, the county task force that was formed because of, you know, what uh, our, you know, making this issue, um, you know, visible, they got a lot of services. So we had actual MDs at our place on Fridays, mm-hmm. um, you know, giving, um, uh, you know, and Reach Medical was there um, and all kinds of um, great services for them showed up. But, but one meeting, um, the president of the museum was like, could you do me just a teensy favor? And this is our alumni and um, parents weekend. So when you have the medical clinic on Friday, I want to make sure they're out of sight. Can you get them on the other side of the of the square so that my people can't see them? And once again, because I need the funding and um, the the mediator, the 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 you know uh, Tony Pacenti's chief of staff, kind of allowed this subtext to go, which was you know that they're even though we care about them they're they need to be invisible and they're you know they need a the carrot and the stick um i was like uh i guess you know was my answer because there's 50 people on zoom and then i saw everyone's eyes roll across zoom but nobody said anything and so um uh and then after that meeting like i got so many people um that were in that meeting are like you know 
what the, you know, <laughs> what was that? That was ridiculous. But no one said anything. And so one of the things that I'm glad that we lost our funding um, was now I can say something. Um, and I felt kind of guilty for not saying something anyway. Like, I really could kick myself for in that meeting not saying, like, no, that's not acceptable. That is another example of the dehumanization of people that are suffering, and that's not okay. But I didn't. And so I think I've gained a stronger sense of being that voice and saying that. Um, but I don't want to be that guy that, you know, that, you know, that bitter, angry guy that, you know, is mad at the museum. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I feel like what happened this summer was our community was not ready to see this crisis as a humanitarian crisis. I agree. And they saw it as a lack of character on the part of the people suffering. And that, um, and one of, the, one of the critiques that we always get, and someone actually critiqued us on Facebook last night, and Kathy Marsh, our center director, gave a beautiful response, um, which was, because we're low barrier and harm reduction and no one else does that, people don't know what that is and it seems like we're enabling so we get the we get the you're enabling you're enabling but our response is, is that we're enabling them to stay alive until they're ready because they can't be pushed and all of the research for harm reduction and low barrier and there's really good research out there that says that it's actually more effective than the other things we're doing um but we don't want to hear that because we want them to be punished. We want them to have discipline. And even people who are in recovery are like, well, I, I had to hit rock bottom. You know, but I'm like, you don't think that living in a church at 45 years old is rock bottom? You know, and you know, not having any money and sleeping on a cot. Um, they know that. Um, and some are really traumatized by that other. Um, and it's that, the, you know, research is on the side of harm reduction and low barrier, but people weren't ready for that. So they're like, uh, like one of the guys in the neighborhood was like, um, oh, well, it's just a and b for addicts and like that kind of attitude. And what our point would be like, no, we're really difficult. Uh, you know, it's really difficult, but, um, and we don't, we don't let them, you know, physically use if we can help it, yeah. but you know, they sneak around and that, and even in the, even in the shelters with barriers, it happens. That's why they get kicked out is because they got caught using in the bathroom. Do you, do you think that, I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. it, it strikes me that, and I think we talked, maybe talked about this a little bit last time, maybe a little bit last time, I think, and push, push back, you know, uh, on this, but do you feel like a root I mean, it seems like the root issue that every all stakeholders have in a neighborhood is safety or the perception of safety, yes. right? Like, yes. if we can, if we can all, if you if you feel safe, other things are possible, yeah. right? And I feel like proximity is is such. We talk. I think we talked a lot about empathy last time, yeah. but proximity with empathy. To me, as I'm, as I'm seeing, you know, on, on the Facebook page, um, I, I'm, I'm making a, a, a guess here. But if you have some someone in a family or a friend that's experienced homelessness mm -hmm. or addiction, and you're close to that, it's kind of like pe people um, donate to and support causes that affect a family member. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. the proximity to yes. a challenge affects your ability to see the causes yes. and the and the, the the remedies to that. And so. By that logic, if if we can increase 
proximity or decreased proximity yeah. does is that a thing that works you know if, if you, yeah. you talk about you know yeah. And I've seen Kathy to say, well, you know, these are uh, the, the the clients of, of the center. They're my friends, and they're they have rich stories. And you know, the human is the rehumanization. I yes. would call it right. Rehumanization. Yeah, rehumanization um, can have a profound a profound impact. It can, and that's what it has for me. It really has for me too. Um, and here's the other thing that I really struggled with this summer was is that, you know. Um, all of the neighbors were clutching their pearls and um, being hysterical about the safety issue. And one block away at my house, I had six shootings this summer. Yeah. And no one from the city ever came to talk to me. And I even told the mayor, I'm like, you know, Mr. Mayor, I had another shooting at my house. He's like, yeah, I heard. And then just kept walking. I'm like, I haven't gotten a task force, but that's actual violence. And of those six shootings where my house and my handicapped son's bedroom is the backdrop if they miss the apartment that they're shooting at mm-hmm. and my fence has gotten some bullet holes in it um no one's ever come to to see if i'm okay um or if our neighborhood's okay or, or if the elderly mm-hmm. lady across the street is okay and two of those people were shot and so has anyone has anyone like complained about the landlord that's had two consecutive people that got shot at, you know? Um, and, um, you probably, when I, I've told about it on the radio, but one of the shootings, I was holding the person on my front porch while bleeding in the femur. And I didn't, and I was trying to hold the, cause I didn't know if it was a femoral artery, you know? And so I'm holding the person and praying with them and trying to get them through. And, um, I didn't hear from the museum saying, boy, that's a problem because that's one block from the museum. But for, for whatever reason, it didn't matter. And so that was my issue is it, you're really telling that it is perception, that it really perception. And because it's nuanced, like shoot, like I see bullets flying at my house. That's real violence. I have blood on my porch. That's real violence. But there are people, you know, like nodding off on the steps of our church, and that is a crisis that demands all this UPD overtime and all, and um, just because someone rich and powerful in neighborhood threw a fit about well, it, their bottom it's, line, un, it's uncomfortable. It's, un, it's I, messy, and I don't want to just yeah. lay everything at them because you know I, it, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, and and also. I Except think, for that you don't have the political power to make the police show up and do something about it. And so that's what I think also. No, I, I, I don't. Yeah. I also think that, and I'm just speaking personally, like mm-hmm. I've, when I feel sometimes powerless yeah. to solve this. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. so, you know, as a, as an average person person that lives here yeah it is uncomfortable and i besides donating uh or 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 providing supplies yeah it becomes hard for me to understand what what i shouldn't say to understand what like i think we all know what what needs to be done but it's hard to find the 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 will the bandwidth the um because because that require it requires change yeah, it's and uncomfortable. It's very it requires, um, and see, so that was a theme on the last time we yeah. talked. I have this, I guess, wonderful gift 
of of making comfortable people uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's what I've done for yeah. Christians and now that's what I've done for non-church people yeah. in the neighborhood as well is and I don't mean to do it um, but I think that's what Jesus did. I mean it, he got killed for it. Um, but he essentially mm-hmm. made everyone uncomfortable by doing what? By like um, showing women equal rights by letting children come and talk to him and be heard and, you know, talking to foreigners um, and people of different ethnicities. And so um, I'm trying to follow Jesus in that way. And it, you know, um, and it's gotten me killed in one way. You are making people uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's getting me politically and, you know, PR killed. And, um, you know, I'd love to say that because, you know, the Bible's clear on that, you know, that is a blessing when people, um, you know, malign you for the name of Christ. But, that's not easy to like right. every morning this like because in my neighborhood like I was kind of the cool pastor like I walked through my neighborhood from my house to church the neighbors are like hey Rev yeah. how you doing Rev love what you're doing and now they're like fuck you Rev mm-hmm. you know and yeah. um, and that was hard to take um, yeah. and I was like because I'm helping the poor um, the, it, it changed like that and so um, you know, one of the complaints of community members was, you know, like, well, you don't listen to us. And, and uh, um, my point was, I will listen to anyone who wants to come and share like you just did. Like, you know, this makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But the hard thing was, was people would just, they didn't want to talk to me or the church about what's going on. They just kind of started off with. We need to stop it. Yeah, it needs to be stopped. It was like, I appreciate what you're doing, but it mm-hmm. shouldn't be here. And, I, you know, I, I know they need this. And even that's okay. But then when they would get into just the dehumanizing rhetoric, um, like, well, how many, um, one person, one neighbor's like, you know, I want you to give me a list every day of how many sex offenders are there. And I'm like, well, why do not the six sex offenders that live right across the street in apartments bother you? Um, or the museum, or you know, because there's just as many. You well, it's, know, it's it's vis, it's visibility. Yeah. When you when you see it, it you know, I, I think it it forces you to confront that yeah. uncomfortableness. It right? does. Like it just it just forces you to, and yeah, and and, and that can be, I think, um, a paralyzing situation with an issue as, as complicated as homelessness and addiction. Like it, exactly. there's not, it's not, okay, this makes me uncomfortable. You know, when, when I'm uncomfortable, when I, when I hurt myself, I am uncomfortable. Yeah. I know I need to sit. Yeah. I need to like, there's a thing that you do with this. Yeah. There's not, yeah. No, maybe there, there, there's, there, but it's there's not a there's well, not a bulletproof solution. Yeah, right? that, that's instant. That's instant. That's, that's instant. Well, see, that's the issue is, people wanted an instant like yeah. the for for all intents and purposes the the county task force really doesn't meet much anymore because. Um, it's winter and they're not hanging out. Mm-hmm. Now, if they if summer comes again and they're all hanging out in the square again, it'll they'll it'll rev right back up again. But um, I think and and then we cl- you know we we took ourselves out of the official loop and so they felt like well, and and that kind of affirmed for me the task force was really about shutting us down more than any the more than dealing with the actual problem and so there wasn't this um i haven't seen any political will in any politicians or the community um, but i should say though we've had we have like over a thousand people that are a part of our facebook yeah. group and who support us and so there's been a lot of support but they're just quieter 
um, than yeah. the people who are loud and upset about it. And um, well, I think that's a lot of the case with name your yeah whatever it is or issue whatever it um, is yeah like the roundabout or you know yeah. whatever whatever is the hospital downtown well, and, it's, and it scales yeah right like any yeah. any issue um, yeah and 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 it, it you know it's the the temptation is to get louder and yeah. reamplify and, and and it's yeah. it's a that that's a very difficult so thing too. I did feel like a siege mentality for a while like sometimes it was um like I talked to um one of the state representatives from around here and in my conversation with that person they were like well you're really defensive and I was like well I'm kind of defensive because you spent the whole conversation giving all of the misperceptions and myths and I'm trying to counter them and show you that they're yeah. not true statistically nationally or here um and then um you know and so that that was that's kind of where it was is there's the siege mentality that i'm always answering the questions that you know well what about our safety well we're well, right, always on defense yeah always on defense and so that that was tough and i felt like nobody was helping us on defense and so um you know i would have loved i invited all of not even the progressive City council people mm -hmm. wanted to touch us with a 10-foot pole. And even the couple who came and visited, they took pictures with us, but that didn't go on their Facebook page. Yeah. You know, like, whereas all the other pictures of where they go end up on their Facebook page. And so we, I know, are, you know, even if people secretly support us, you know, like I put up a post the other day, we're that Facebook friend who everyone will private message yeah. um, or, or like my family pics, yeah. but not have anything to do with anything controversial. And that's kind of how we are as an organization. Can you talk a little bit about, this has been a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Like this has been a bummer. Yeah. Can you talk, and, I'm, and I, and, and look, this is, this is important. Yeah. Uh, but I think as you, I'm, I, I'm, I'm positing here, but you've probably also, I'm, God, I'm hoping that you've seen people in our community step up to be helpers and care in other yes. ways. And can you talk about some of the things that you've, that you've seen, that you've learned, and then also ways that even if I, even if I'm the private Facebook friend, yeah. how do how do you how do you, how do we as a community? And I want I want to push you on this. Uh, what are the, what are other communities do like? Yeah. How do you decide that we are going to solve this problem? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think I finished my thought on that. Um, I think what other communities are doing is the housing first is really important, but we don't have a lot yeah. right now. So. Um, like the budgets that just came out for county and city have nothing for long-term support of building those because they're expensive and nobody yeah. wants to do that. And the mayor is not going to raise taxes before he gets out of here. Um, and so that's a problem. So we have to push our, our, um, our city politicians and county politicians to put into the budget um, new affordable um, supportive housing. Like the one that that was built over by the, the starting line. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful and that's awesome, but that filled up like that. Yeah. And there's like a thousand people waiting on a waiting yeah. list for that. And then Rome's build a couple. Yep. We need so many more. So that's one issue. Um, then the other issue is, is that 
the city, and I don't think the Morrow Center actually should be the permanent full-time um, low barrier, barrier shelter. shelter. Yeah. I, we really just want to be like that um, place of last resort for overflow and, you know, um, you know, emergencies like the Obelston and things like yeah. that. We are not in the right location, which because we don't have any outside space. Like one of the problems that we had was when people go out to smoke, there's no place to go. Um, so people were, you know, driving by and taking like, you know, poverty porn pictures of yeah. them and using them against us. Like look at them standing around, but like they have no place to go. So it needs to be a place where they have like, uh, like, you know, uh, adequate outside space and, you know, where they can be in private. Um, so, th- uh, so we really do need that, um, full-time, fully staffed, low barrier shelter, because as I write about almost every night, um, on our Facebook pages is that there's always an example every night of someone who doesn't fit anywhere else. So that needs to happen. And then I think also there needs to be some transitional housing. Mm-hmm. Um, now HUD does not fund transitional housing. So that's part of the issue is it's hard to get grants for that, but there needs to be some transitional housing. So for example, one of the problems we had this year was we got all these really difficult people that to house. Um, because they burned all their bridges with all the hotels, all the things. And so they were with us for a long time and we're not built to be a shelter. We're just an emergency overnight place. And so, um, if there was a transitional place where they come to our place, they stay one or two nights until the caseworkers really get on it. Mm -hmm. And then they get to the transitional and then they go from the transitional to the fully supportive. That is the way it should work. Um, and I think, and I, there's not a lot of communities that I think have really done well with that, but I think that's the, that, um, because it's expensive, it's expensive. It's very expensive. So it's millions of dollars. What we really want to do as a church and as the Morrow center is we really want to be a place of connection and reconciliation and conversation. So for us going forward, we'll continue to do the Morrow Center, but we will do it at the smaller level that we are right now. Like mm-hmm. we have 10 to 15, maybe 20 at the most on a given night now, whereas we used to have 50, 55. How do you, how do you, um, how do you go- govern that capacity? I mean, do you well, have to turn people away? We hold the county accountable, and when people who can stay somewhere else show up, we make them go to that okay. other place. Whereas we weren't doing that before because the county didn't yeah. tell us to do that um, until it was too late almost. Um, and so that's how we've been able to do it. Um, uh, and the county didn't completely cut our funding off, but they said they would only fund us for 10 people. And I really felt like, yeah, but you're going to send us 20 and pay us for 10. And we were already like five months behind on reimbursement and, We've, and they kept moving the goalposts. So I'm like, I just can't keep doing this with you. So we'll just do it on our own. Um, and so, um, but I think that's that's what they would like too, is for us to be small and maybe mm-hmm. there even be another one or two of them. Um, and so we would be great with that. So we would just do for Code Blue, the smaller number. And then we really want to do all kinds of like conversations, like things we were doing before COVID was we'd have these things called um, agape dinners. And we would have like one of our, um, I don't know if you know Jay, um, Jay's one of our parishioners and he's a great cook. And um, he would make this really nice dinner. And then we'd have like students from Proctor, ROTC, um, they would be the waiters, mm-hmm. you know, and then we would um, invite people but you had to sit with someone that you didn't know Mm -hmm. and we make sure to invite lots of people from the neighborhood lots of people that were part of our programming from breakfast and then they would interact and then um like i remember sitting you know there's someone from new hartford who had never really been in the neighborhood much then we had someone who um had been shot 
you know, in the neighborhood. And he, he was just talking about that like it was, you know. Yeah, and the, the thing that happened. Right? And you could see the person's yeah. eyes just go, whoosh, yeah. you know. And so, um, and I, you know, and I thought, this is really awesome. Because now they have really come to understand each other. They know each other by name. Mm-hmm. They they connected. Um, and so uh, we'd like to do a lot of things like that and kind of be like kind of a, a wellness and healing place. Because one of the things that we've learned is so many of our people, it's the trauma that's the, the key at all this, like really difficult mm-hmm. trauma that, you know, you could never, that some of us have, you know, are fortunate to never understand. And so we'd really like to be able to do art therapy because Kathy really mm-hmm. loves to do that. So we could use our art to do art therapy. And then that's also a way for people to connect because everyone likes to do art. So you can have a mixed group of doing art together and getting to know each other, mm-hmm. taking art classes. Um, we, we Yoga instructor, we mm-hmm. have, you know, yoga together. Um, he, you know, if we even an acupuncturist has talked about maybe coming. Um, the key thing that you keep talking about, and I don't mean to cut yeah. you off, is I keep hearing together. Together, 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 you know, and, and breaking I, down barriers. And that's harder than like, I, yeah. I, I, none of us left our house in two years. I know. You know? Like, we I know. Our family it's been pretty so cons- hard. Yeah. It's yeah. been so hard. You know, I don't, I wasn't going to say this, but one day when things were super out of control around the block, I saw you in the family drive through and your eyes were like this. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh man, um, because it was like one of those minutes where it was chaos. And, yeah. um, I, and so I realize. Well, you know, and, and that comes from a place where when I said I'm uncomfortable, it's I can be uncomfortable. Yeah. I still struggle to figure out how do how do you explain this to my five year old? Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know how to do that yet. Well, I well think- and, and, and it's like, OK, well, we tried. Like, well, people are having a hard time and yeah. they need some help. And that's kind of, it's so much more complicated than that. Yeah. And those conversations are hard. Well, I say bring yeah. them. Mm. The earlier and the younger that you bring them as a family mm. um, to do what we're doing and the things that we're talking mm. about or bring them when you serve or like come mm. to help with a meal or something, it really changes because they'll see that they're normal people yeah. Yeah. and that they're, and it's not dangerous. Like some people are like, well, how would I, why would I ever bring my child into that? Right. But I'm like, but it's safe and people yeah. are they feel safe in there too it's their like they don't want to be so like we're really careful about the people that we have volunteer because we don't want people to come in and you know like even though we're we're religious we have a lot of like kind of really conservative groups want to come in and evangelize them and lay hands on them and everything and like no, you're, <laughs> right, not, right. you're not right. going to do that because they're already traumatized. Yeah. And they and plus we don't do we there's no quid, quid pro quo here. Right. It's you know we're we want them to feel loved, yeah. but they don't have to do anything to yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And so uh, that's my answer is bringing people together. So I go back to I said this in the last podcast was the biggest thing that helped me in my life was moving to that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Because um, I, you know, I learned a lot of stuff. Um, like I would have never thought a kid, you know, growing up in Iowa and then, you know, in the Adirondacks, yeah. having a drug dealer for a next door neighbor who I became friends with. And, um, you know, then I understood his life and um, I saw it from his perspective. And that changed me more than any book or yeah. Facebook conversation or anything could have done was just becoming friends and so I think it's this idea of friendship. So we want to create this space. And this it was probably the worst way to do it was to start off with all this, you know, but I felt like we had to, we had to, um, 
address this crisis, humanitarian crisis that was going on. It's just the now we have the freedom to to you know, and now we you know we have a smaller group that we can that we know, and we're not actually low barrier as much as we want to be anymore because we have to keep it more, you know, yeah. we have, it's just me by myself at night. So if there's something that I don't feel comfortable with, you know, I can't yeah. let that person stay. And that makes me sad because then there's nowhere else for the person to go. That's why I say we need that, yeah. that low barrier shelter. So getting back to that point, I think everything's about connection, breaking down barriers. Like we always say, like, we don't do charity. We do equality. So one of the things that I may have said this in the last one, um, made it hard at church was that um, people were okay with charity, but I mean, you can't have an essential oils party with, um, you know, homeless people. And um, that's what people, you know, I don't want to be overly sarcastic, but you know, that's what people see as um, fellowship at church. And I'm like, no, it's about equality. Like, um, and I'm going to get all preachy here, but I think that the sacrament of communion is actually, if you see it in the Bible, it's not just a symbolic thing with the, the cup and the wafer. It is a communal meal where everyone is equal and there's a, a seat at the table for everyone. So COVID really messed that up for us, but we really want to get back to, and that's what our breakfasts were really like, um, where our communion at the end of service is actually, we sit down and eat yeah. and everyone's welcome at the table and everyone, you know, gets to talk and listen and share and be part of the group and nobody is stigmatized. It's, you know, and you picked a hell of a time to do this with the uh, pandemic. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think where a lot of folks, you know, myself included, I shouldn't say myself included, but, pr- but probably like the, our yeah. circles have gotten smaller yep. and more insular. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's been harder and harder to have communion in the in the metaphorical sense yeah. right um not just because of we, we don't want to kill anybody but yeah. um yeah there's you know i i i, f- I found myself over the last couple of years being just like more baseline anxiety about just everything. Like yeah. we just went through this four year period where like, I know, you know, uh, you're, you're just redlining the whole time. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot to, there was a lot to be pissed about. Yeah. And you know, I could, I can, I remember, I, you know, everything, everything about, you know, the mandates and the, and mm-hmm. the vaccines. I, I don't want to make this about that, but like, that was a very effective way to get everyone pissed at each other too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not saying anyone caused that, but it's just, mm-hmm. you're talking about building community and it's like, okay, well, a lot of us, we, you know, a lot of our, our friends and family members have mm-hmm. now we've, we've alienated them or they've alienated themselves yeah. as a byproduct. of this. like, how do you get to big C community? We, we don't even have well, small C community anymore well, in a lot it, of instances. It's funny that I talk about community, but as I share this community, ours has shrunk. Yeah. Um, and not, I mean, it's grown from people from the neighborhood. Like, um, because we never say, you know, oh, if you're staying at the Mara Center, you have to go to church. Right. We never do that. But um, actually, because it's warm and you can, it, yeah. it's an hour, uh, a lot of people will come, but they've, they've kind of enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, I do, I'm kind of different, um, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's not really formal. Um, and um, we try to interact a lot and dialogue and, um, and you know, do interactive things. But um, people, um, I think, 
who are when you make something about equality you lose the privileged and I wish it were different and maybe it's me I'm willing to say you know because that's where I was talking about at the beginning where you know I have doubts I feel so strongly about what I'm doing and what we're doing as a church like I think that breaking down barriers and humanizing people and loving people and keeping people you know alive and giving them basic dignity um, I believe so strongly in that but there's a part of me that doubts it because people who can pay for it and support it and that you'd like to see as part of it tend to not want it and so um, it's that's where a lot of self-doubt for me comes in is because you know I'm saying am I doing this right like I feel like this is the right thing I mean like I feel like I'm trying to be faithful to Jesus who really broke down all those barriers loved everyone included everyone didn't judge people um, gave his life out of solidarity not out of God's wrath you know um, gave his life as solidarity and love and um, and yet it repels the privileged and the comfortable and um, and, and not so much anymore I, I feel like the Morrow Center in some ways has invigorated the, the church as well because people are responding to the way we live out our mission. Um, and so, um, because I've always talked about like, you know, the, the relationships and the fellowship and the, the, the friendships happen by sharing the, the work together. And that started to happen. So some people who have come and volunteered at the center actually come to church now um, because they've enjoyed the that community, the yeah. community that they've, you know, of the church people that they've gotten to know. And so they're like, oh, I'll just come to church. Because mm-hmm. um, so I think maybe it's starting to work. But, um, you know, I've been at Cornerstone for 18 years and I feel like I've done 17 years of deconstruction and maybe it's time, hopefully, I'd like to before I, you know, I, I die to be a part of construction, you know, and the building of those. Because I feel like so much of what I've had to do is change the narrative, um, you know, apologize for the way that the church, not, you know, Big C Church mm-hmm. um, has essentially abdicated all the things that we're supposed to be doing, which is loving our community. So that was one thing that really hit me this year. I'm, I'm not, even though I'm, I, I feel like I'm, pr- I'm pragmatist, and you know, I, I wasn't, you know, didn't fall off the turnip truck, you know, yesterday. I was still so naive. I really felt like that people would rally around a church loving the most vulnerable people, and it was, even though a lot of people really did, but a lot of people really didn't either. And again. I shouldn't be surprised. It happens all through history and scripture and talking to other, but it's, uh, I was still like, man, this sucks. You know, like, I don't want to get up today. And like, I certainly don't want to walk to church because I got to pass like four neighbors who are going to, you know, yeah, give me crap. Um, and, uh, who used to be friends and who I've shared my life with and served and done a lot of things with and for, and, you know, it's like, um, so that's uh, I, I'm rambling now, but that that's been that's been really difficult. I think is um, I feel like 
I know it's the right thing to do, but a lot of people don't seem to agree that it's the right thing mm-hmm. to do. Uh, and that's, that's tough. Where can people, where can people find out more about what you're doing? Uh, maybe ways to get involved. Like what's the best way to connect with you and the Morrow Center? The best way to connect is our uh, Morrow Center Facebook page. You can ask to join it, but you can also see, I think that's the um, Morrow Warming Center Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, um, you can donate on um, www.morrowwarmingcenter.org. Um, you can e- email me at mike at cornerstoneutica.com um, or stop by. Um, I think that's the best way is to come and see what's going on. And, um, you know, uh, and it's okay to be uncomfortable. Um, and I'll be there with you. I'll make sure you're okay. Um, and uh, I think it will change your life. But it's... Mm. Um, it's like snorkeling. You gotta, you gotta trust that, um, you know, it's not gonna all flow into the snorkel and drown you. But you know that moment when you jump in the mm-hmm. water. It's you gotta, you gotta trust. And if you do, it'll be okay. But uh, and I'll be there to help. But um, and our people will be there to help. And um, it, it will change your life. But it's uncomfortable. Um, but it's it's awesome. Okay, that was tough, but important. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Mike for his time and always sharing uh, his his story, his his resilience, his tenacity, um, and and frankly the the reality of a lot of the challenges that he's dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So um, if you want to learn more about what Mike's doing, definitely use the links that he talked about in the interview. Um, full disclosure, I am a supporter of the Warming Center and, uh, and, and hope you'd consider becoming one as well. Uh, see you guys on the next episode of Rust Belt Startup.